We're here today with our good friend, Sophronia Scott. Sophronia serves as director of the new low residency MFA in creative writing program at Alban College in Michigan. She holds a BA in English from Harvard and an MFA in writing from the Vermont College of Fine Arts. She began her career as an award-winning magazine journalist for Time and People. When her first novel, All I Need to Get By, was published by St. Martin's Press in 2004, Sophronia was nominated, by, nominated for Best New Author at the African American Literary Awards and hailed by Professor Henry Louis Gates Jr. as potentially one of the best writers of her generation. Her latest novel is Unforgivable Love. She's also the author of an essay collection, Love's Long Line, and a memoir, This Child of Faith, Raising a Spiritual Child in a Secular World, which was co-written with her son, Tane. Her essays, short stories, and articles have appeared in Killen's Review of Arts and Letters, Saranac Review, Numero Sank, Ruminate, Barnstorm Literary Journal, Sleep Magazine, NewYorkTimes.com, More, and Oh, the Oprah Magazine. Her new book, which we're going to discuss today, is The Seeker and the Monk, Everyday Conversations with Thomas Merton. It's being released today by Broadleaf Books. Sarah's taught at Regis University's Mile High MFA and Bay Path University MFA at Creative Nonfiction. She's also delivered presentations at the Yale Writers Workshop, Meacham Writers Workshop, Hobart Festival of Women Writers, and has spoken more often at the Writing for Your Life and Publishing in Color conferences than any other author. <laughs> so it's always a pleasure to speak with you, Sophronia, and congratulations on the release of this new book. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled about it. It is an amazing book. And uh, I know when you first told me that you were going to be doing this, I thought, oh, my gosh, that is such a great idea. And, uh, and it's a wonderful result, too. I mean, we'll talk about that more. <laughs> um, so but before we get to are there any particular parts of your background that you'd like to uh, tell people more about? Well, right now, we're actually in the throes of uh, admission season. So right now, um, I'm recruiting and reading applications for the, the ALMA program that you just mentioned. Uh, it's a new low residency MFA in creative writing. It's a graduate program. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm thrilled about putting together this artistic community. I'm absolutely thrilled about it. Um, our first residency is going to be at ALMA in um, June, June 17th through the 27th. And I don't know if I told you this, but um, Joy Harjo, the U.S. Poet Laureate, is going to kick off that residency. Oh, program. wonderful. Good for so, you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just, I'm over the moon about all of that right now. That is so, yeah. Well, I mean, that's got to be a huge push to put together a program like that. Yes, but. But I have a, a strong vision. I know, I know, I mean, from personal experience, uh, earning an MFA changed my writing life. So to me, this is like paying it forward and, and getting to offer this opportunity to other writers who I, I know will benefit enormously from the experience. Yes, and I know you've got outstanding staff, you know, uh, participating. Oh, yeah, um, Karen Bender, who's a um, National Book Award finalist. Uh, Kiese Lehman, another um, amazing, amazing nonfiction writer, Leslie Contreras-Schwartz, who is the Poet Laureate of Houston, just just a fantastic faculty. So I, like I said, it's going to be a dynamic, diverse, energetic community. Yes, 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 yes. I'm anxious to talk with you after you've got a launch just to hear, you know, what your uh, reactions have been to the, you know, the first program. So, um, 
you mentioned that, you know, you're currently looking at applications and the first, you know, round is going to start in June. Mm-hmm. Is the second class going to start the following year or how's that going to be paced? Oh, so it's a low residency program. So what happens is um, the students come, like they only have to be uh, in attendance for two residencies, one in the summer and one in the winter. So the term or semester, but, but we go by terms, the term begins with residency. So you come to residency for 10 days and it's an intense experience of, of lectures, readings, you're gonna be in workshop um, critiquing the work of others and having your own work critique. While you're there, you get assigned to a faculty mentor and you and that mentor will develop a study plan for what you're going to do for the rest of the term. You get together a reading list and a schedule of packets. So you have to submit a packet of writing once a month for five months once residency is over. You're gonna be doing creative work, critical work, and, um, and the faculty mentor will be intensely critiquing and helping you develop as a writer throughout that process. Once the five months are over, it all starts again. You come back in the winter for your second term, your second residency, and it all begins again. At that residency, yes, there will be a new cohort starting their first term. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, so, that's what I was, you know, wondering when the sequence of cohorts would, you know, continue to roll out. Yeah, it, it continues. So, um, so you'll have multiple cohorts, um, but at different phases in the program, but you're all there together. I see. Oh, that's cool. Really neat. And so it, for, to complete the MFA, how many terms is that? Uh, you have to attend five residencies um, and it's a total of uh, two years. Okay. Okay. So unless you do dual genre, if you decide to study two genres, like for example, my degrees in fiction and nonfiction, then that would require uh, an extra term, an extra. Okay. Term. Sure. Sure. Wow. Well, that's so cool. I mean, that's like I said, it's had to be a lot of work to structure all that and <laughs> make it happen, but good for you. I'm very, very thrilled about you doing that. Throwing in. So let's get back to books. Um, <laughs> um, for those folks who are not familiar with Thomas Merton, maybe you could give a little bit of background about him first. <laughs> uh, just showing the book. So uh, Thomas Merton was a monk in the Catholic Church, and he entered the monastery as a very young man in the uh, late 1940s. And he, he was a writer before then, you know, young man trying to get published. And he thought he was going to leave that behind once he entered the monastery. But uh, when his superiors realized that, that he could write, they thought that this would be a good thing. They wanted him to, uh, to continue writing and to write for the church. And it all started with his autobiography, The Seven Story Mountain. Well, that turned out to be a raging success. It made him <laughs> famous. And, uh, and so they was like, okay, just, just keep doing it. And he wrote many, many, many books. Um, the Sign of Jonas, Conjectures of a Guilty Bystanders, New Seeds of Contemplation, just rolling out all of these books. And um, his, his first um, several years were books of a more spiritual bent. But as he became more engaged with the world, he started writing about social issues about uh, the importance of peace um, as the nuclear war situation was revving up in the 1950s. 
Uh, he wrote about the civil rights movement in the 1960s. So he, he was a powerful voice and was, was very much out there. People knew who Thomas Merton was. Um, unfortunately, he died um, rather young uh, of an accident, an accidental electrocution when he was only 53 years old. But, um, but he wrote so much that his work still reverberates today. And, and what he wrote, as I talk about in my book, was so prescient that it's all relevant. Like he writes as though he could be writing today because we're still dealing with so many of the things he wrote about. Yes, absolutely. And he was so gifted. And as you said, ahead of his time, you know, many, many regards. And, uh, and thank goodness that you're, you're kind of introducing a new generation, you know, to him. So I, I think that's just like so outstanding. Um, so tell folks the story about how this book came about. Well, um, I don't think you were at the, uh, the the session, but you were there. We were both at the Festival of Faith and Writing. In right. Germany. Remember that? So, um, so I was there because a friend asked me to be on a panel that had been accepted there. And it was a panel about Thomas Merton. And she knew that I, I read Merton because I quote him in my social media. So she knew that. And, and so um, we were talking about Merton and writers. And so I went to the panel. And once we were on stage, and this was even before the panel started, I was just noticing that, that the other people on the stage with me were um, academics. And, and they were writers as well, but they were also academics. And I realized suddenly, it's like, oh, wait, I'm, I am not, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a study Merton. <laughs> you know, the way that they and, I thought, and I suddenly felt like, okay. I, they, I, they might think I'm an imposter. I should just mess up right now. <laughs> and, and I said that at the beginning of the, the session. I said, look, I, just so you know, I'm not an academic. I'm not a theologian. I'm just someone who I, I kind of have this monk who follows me around. If he gives me good advice. <laughs> I read about him. I think about my life and, 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 and just, you know, his words come, come to me. So, so just so you know, that's how I'm going to be talking about Merton today. <laughs> But, um, but little did I know that that's what people in the audience seem to really appreciate and, and wanted more of that and wanted to understand that. And, and they seem to make a personal connection um, to Merton on their own and wanted to know more about how to do that. So at one point, and people kept coming up to me um, throughout the rest of the festival talking to me about it. And, and a woman finally said to me, and you're writing your Merton book, aren't you? <laughs> Yes, I am. <laughs> I am writing my Thomas Merton book. But, um, and I realized right away then I could, I did have something to say and it could be a different book because so many books about Merton are academic or they're theological books or they're literary criticism books. You know, I can write about this from a very personal level. And I just have to figure out how to do this so, so that it is relevant and, and and people can read their way into it and it took me a while to wrap my head around that but um, but once I did I, I I was on my way well it's it's a really interesting structure that you've chosen for this book as the subtitle indicates it's conversations mm -hmm. you know essentially you know so to speak between you and you know obviously someone who's passed away many years ago so tell us about how you decided to write the book that way well, it's sort of it's sort of what's in my head anyway. That that <laughs> you know, especially when I'm I'm reading his journals, 
So to me, and this is the way I write anyway, that I write as though I'm writing to you. I write as though I'm writing to one person. So I'm reading his journals and reading them as though he's talking to me. So there are just times when I'm, I'm talking back. Right? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like, man, Thomas, you don't even know. What is this? <laughs> and so I thought, you know, why don't I just put it, try to get that, capture that on the page of, of my dialogue, my back and forth with what, what I'm engaging with. And so that's, that's how it came out. Right. And to, to share with you what's running through my head. <laughs> I think that's so cool because when we when we're reading a book, that's kind of we we're all reading it, right? I mean, whoever the author is, you're kind of saying to yourself, okay, that makes sense, or I never thought of it that way, or I don't agree with that, whatever. You know, I mean, so I just think it was neat to see your you know thoughts alongside his. Uh, it's just a really compelling way, I think, to uh, to dive into the you know the guts of it. Yeah. So also our mutual friend, Barbara Brown Taylor, wrote the foreword to the book, which is a wonderful and well-deserved thing. But how did that happen? Oh, goodness. Uh, my editor was, was thinking that, that it would be great to have a foreword in the book. And, and because, I, and I'm just guessing this uh, because I don't know what my editor's thought process was, but she just felt that, that Barbara Brown Taylor, and I think she had had some sort of uh, communication recently with her, but she just somehow felt that, that our voices and our um, spiritual approaches somehow connected. And she felt like this would be the right voice. And she didn't know, like when she said that to me, it's like, I know Barbara. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I have no problem asking Barbara to write this forward. I would be so honored if, if she would do that. And, and of course she was just so, Barbara was so gracious and, um, and, and she did it. And I, I loved her words. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They were really great. So um, in researching the book, you not only read, you know, a lot, <laughs> you, also, <laughs> you also visited the Thomas Merton Center in Louisville and the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky where he lived yeah, also in, yeah not far from Louisville yeah and and also St. Edmund's Lake yes so how is that those experiences you know to uh, to visit those locations where you know that he had spent so much time yeah well it was um it was a little fraught because I I almost didn't go Brian because that was that was a tough time this was December 2019 and and actually um my mother had had died just the month before oh so, goodness and and um, gosh, Brian, the um, the Madelingle. Yes, that, that was in November. Right. So um, my mom, I don't think I'm not sure I share that with you. My mom died that weekend, that same oh, wow. weekend. So um, so I found out that she died the morning that I had to do the my my presentation at the Langle. Hmm. So, um, so that was that was a fraught couple of weeks because I went to Ohio right after that, um, her funeral. And then I was scheduled to go to, to Kentucky just like a, a, the following week in early December. Wow. And I just, I, I almost didn't go. I just felt like, I don't know if I can handle this. I'm, I'm tired. I've been traveling. Um, and I thought I would put it off into the spring. But, but something told me, it's like, you know, maybe this is what I need. Maybe I do need to go to a monastery and just sit. <laughs> and so... Um, my original thought was, yeah, I was going to go and, and think about the book and work on the book. And, 
but honestly, Brian, I was exhausted. So I was, mm. I was going to go there and just be in silent retreat. Mm. And, and I was in my room, you know, uh, the first day or so I was just in my room and I was doing the cycle of prayers that the, the monks do. I was getting up at like, you know, three in the morning to go to the, um, the earliest prayers. But, um, but something made me go out um, and, and decide to, to be in a different experience. And I talk about this in the book. I almost feel like, like Merton somehow came to me and said, this is not what you came here for. You did not, you know, come, <laughs> come out to the woods, come, come see where I Yeah, am. that's why I thought it was so cool yeah. you did that. And so, um, so yeah, and, and I thought I was just going to go on a, a little hike and I went by that lake you were talking about. Yes. Lake. And I was so struck by the depth of the silence that mm. I heard when I was out there, that I was in this huge area of field and lake and trees, and yet it was silent. And it was so, if you know, you know, I do my morning walk with Sophronia. If you go to my YouTube channel and you go to December 2019, you'll see I was so nuts about this silence that I tried to record it. <laughs> <laughs> I did a video and I was like, Listen, do you hear this? Listen to the silence. <laughs> but, um, and, and I, I kept walking. I only thought I was going to go to that lake and go back, but I kept walking because I just felt this silence pulling me in. And, and I ended up going on this really long hike. Um, and I ended up on this high knob overlooking the, the monastery. And, um, and I know it was a view that Merton um, had seen because he, he wrote about it and, and to see, um, to take in where you live actually, to, to take in your world in this way. And I was just so, it had to be a real spiritual moment. Exactly. It was so, I was so moved. I was absolutely so moved. Um, and same thing happened when I, I went to his grave site. Hmm. And, and I was in tears. And I did not expect that. Hmm. You know, I felt, I felt I really just was missing him. It's like, I, you should be here. I wish you were here. I wish you were here. We should be walking around here together. We should be talking. And um and then not long after that, I ended up meeting uh, Brother Paul Queenan, who was the, the last monk there who, who knew Merton personally. Uh, Merton had been one of his, um, his, his kind of mentors, but he, Paul entered the monastery as a very young man. And I ended up getting to, to talk to him. And he invited me to Merton's hermitage, which I did not think I would get to see because it, it is off limits, you know, to general, uh, the general public, you don't just get to go walking out there. And, uh, and there's a small group that that meets out there. And, and the particular week that I was out there was, um, it's a very special time. Uh, Merton entered the monastery, I believe the date is December 10th. He entered the monastery on December 10th, but he also died on December 10th. Hmm. Yeah, so it's so that week in December is you know, a lot of Merton fans are just, it's just very kind of a sacred week. Yeah. And so it was a group that was going to be at the Hermitage that evening. And Paul invited me to join them. Oh, cool. So got to go to the, Mer the Hermitage and, and to read some of, to read out loud um, Merton words that are very important to me. So, um, so, so as you can see, the visit unfolded in a way that I totally did not expect. And, and I got to experience Merton's surroundings in a way that I did not expect. So, and I can only feel like I just felt like he had a hand in that <laughs> because it wow. all 
so serendipitously. Yeah, well, you know, as you said, thank goodness that you went then. Huh. Yeah, oh, yeah, because the pandemic happened, I would not have been able to go. Yeah. Like, and you were there to witness this group and that date, and, you know, that just yeah, amazing. And, um, and then after that was when I went to the, the Merton Center. So um, the Thomas Merton Center at Bellarmine University um, houses, archives all of his, um, his work, but there are also items like his clothing. Um, his clothing is there, uh, photographs, like I saw photographs from his funeral. Um, I saw pages from his handwritten journals, right? So, so those were things, items that just really connected me to him. And I, I was really grateful to, to be able to see that, just to, to contemplate that, that jacket, to see that jacket that I've seen in so many pictures. And, and there it is. Yes, yes, right. exactly. Oh, my goodness. What, what an experience that you had. I mean, this whole project, you know, the visits, you know, diving into his work, you know, that's, that's just really amazing. Um, one of the things that you mentioned earlier is that, you know, he was kind of originally known as this, you know, very quiet, private monk, but became very vocal um, later in life relative to the Vietnam War, nuclear weapons and everything. You know, can you tell us more about that? Well, it, some of this um, stemmed from this moment of epiphany, right? Um, he had this epiphany in um, like the late 1950s. He was standing on the corner of 4th and Walnut in Louisville. And there's actually a marker there. It is the only historical marker that marks a spiritual event in this country. <laughs> wow. There's a marker there and it will just, it describes, you know, Thomas Merton stood here on the state and he had this epiphany that, that he was not separate from everyone, like often his monastery separate, that he was still and, and just naturally connected to all of humanity, that we are all one. And that, and he felt a tremendous love from that connection and that that made him um, realize that that he had uh, not only permission but but um, an, out of necessity that he had something to say about things going on in the world and that he really should write about it and that he could and, and he did he started doing that um, not without some pushback from the church right because they um, there are certain things that um, that they would censor because like they were saying this was unbecoming of a monk to write about peace right, uh -huh. <laughs> so, right? <laughs> um so but but he persisted he persisted because he felt like this is what he should be doing good for him so um previously you and i talked a little bit about the relationship that you had with your editor on this mm -hmm. book um mm -hmm. you want to kind of give a little bit of a flavor of that mm -hmm. Valerie Weaver-Zerker at Broadleaf Books, as she was the acquiring editor on this project. And, you know, I already told you, this, this was a confusing book in the first place, that I'm, I'm basically trying to translate this thought process. And I came to it knowing that I was going to write about very specific topics. I knew I was going to write about ambition, materialism, race, um, activism, love, death. Um, but I had no idea. And, and when I started sending her the draft chapters, I said, I have no idea what order these <laughs> should go in. 
So, um, so two things that she was constantly contributing. Number one, she was making sure that in, in my, that I didn't go too deeply into my, um, my head in terms of talking about my experience with Merton, that, that, it, that it didn't, that I wasn't shutting the reader out when I was having these conversations. So she made sure of that. But um, the other thing that I felt was just hugely vital was that she reminded me that a lot of people don't know who Merton is, especially millennials, and that I would be introducing him to them. And she came up with this idea that, that maybe we should order the chapters along the lines of Merton's biography so that we are telling the story of his life even as we're addressing each of these issues. And I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. And yes. I was like, yes. I said, yes, we can do this because we can talk about materialism. We can talk about what he left behind when he first came to the monastery all the way to, you know, the death chapter will obviously come at the end when Merton dies. And it's like, yeah, this, this, this can work. And so I absolutely, you know, dove into it like that. And I think it, it, it works. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's really, you know, multiple trains going on in parallel. That was just really cool. So I realized the book is just coming out today, you know, as we're recording this. Um, how have the pre-orders and the reception and everything else gone so far? Well, I don't know exact numbers, but I'm, I'm guessing it's doing pretty well because the people who tell me on social media that they bought the book, so far, most people don't say, oh, I bought the book. They say, I bought one for myself and I bought one for friends or I ah, bought copies. Excellent. Cool. That if people keep doing that, keep buying. Them. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go places. Very cool, very cool. I really think that the book will do incredibly well. So uh, I hope hope that's the case. Um, so finally, you know, since I know you're a really busy person and you're very productive, are there any future projects that you're ready to talk about yet? Oh, I'm. <laughs> I'm not sure I can talk too much about it yet because I'm still working on it, but I am, I'm working on my next novel right now. Good, good. Another I know you've been so busy with Alma, you know, the MFA program that that had to have, you know, been the priority time-wise as well as obviously launching this book, but, uh, but you know, but it all, I was writing The Seeker and the Monk, even as I was in the, in the process of, of um, interviewing for the Alma job and, and launching that program, even as I'm, I'm editing and, producing this book so how should i think stuff gets done yeah yeah it's done so. well you're, you're really good at juggling multiple things at once that's why i knew that you know i could ask you that question because I, I said there's got to be something you know that's at least stewing you know <laughs> if nothing further than that but yeah. well sophronia congratulations on this new book it's i'm so happy for you both you know in terms of the book in terms of alma uh the program there and um you know, just wonderful to see your progress over the years that I've known you and uh, so, so happy about that. Thank you, Brian. And, and I just totally appreciate working with you and the, the connections that I've made uh, with from you, working with you. Well, thanks so much.